Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Well, living uh, and doing anything as a group requires leadership and it requires uh, collective effort, doesn't it? And of course, as I want to do, uh, I'm going to find you an example of this from sport. Uh, much to, uh, I know, a few of your, a few of your di- dislike. But nonetheless, you might remember back in 2016, it was a horrible year, uh, Sydney lost the grand final to the Western Bulldogs. Uh, and I couldn't even get, there's a lady in our nine o'clock service called Patsy, I couldn't even get her to whoop out loud when I, when I said I was going to talk about the Western Bulldogs. But nonetheless, the Bulldogs, are, they're not very good. Right? They haven't been very good for a very long time. Uh, and uh, they're from the western suburbs, from Footscray in Melbourne. They're kind of the down and out uh, uh, team from the west uh, who haven't uh, done much for a long time. And then in 2016, they have this sort of miracle year uh, and they ride it all the way to the grand final. Uh, and uh, they're at the grand final, they're the underdogs. I cannot believe the Swans didn't win it. And uh, they win, uh, but of course, their win is tinged with this great sadness because there's this guy called Bob Murphy who uh, has been the captain of the club for years, dedicated clubman, uh, and he has missed out on his premiership medal because he can't play in the grand final because he's injured. And so this happens. Oop. Oh. Be better if there was sound. Let's try it again. This happens. Let's get Bob Murphy up on the scene. some other YouTube videos later. Uh, the, the coach, who's you know, the, the, the key leader of that organisation, uh, sees this man, who's also another, another important leader, but another part of this brotherhood uh, of bulldogs who've just achieved this amazing thing, uh, and he sacrifices on behalf uh, of uh, the teammate uh, in order to give the medallion. Uh, and it, it was a wonderful moment, uh, and my... Uh, my, my tears changed from tears of sadness because my team had just lost the grand final to tears of uh, joy as I watched this beautiful thing unfold and realised I couldn't be angry anymore that we'd lost the grand final. Uh, 
It was a beautiful moment, a sacrificial moment, and a moment, I think, uh, that gives us a little insight into the kind of sacrificial uh, brotherly love or family love that Paul is calling the church to in our reading today as they seek to live together as a community shaped by the gospel. If you've been coming for a while, you know we're uh, working our way through this letter. We've reached the end. And you'll, you'll know and you'll remember that Paul is thankful for the most part for the Thessalonian church. He's thankful for their faith. He had to leave them quickly because of the strong persecution they faced. And he wasn't sure how things had turned out. We know all this from Acts. Uh, and so he sent Timothy back uh, to, to, to the church. And he's uh, been there and he's now come back to Paul and said, things are going pretty well. They're remaining committed to their faith they're living it out and because of this the the faith is spreading people are hearing about the christians in thessalonica who uh, are living out their faith in word and deed even in the midst of strong persecution and paul of course is overjoyed he has this deep love and connection uh, to this church we we, we you remember when uh, richard condy was here him uh, sh- talking about that part of the letter Uh, where uh, Paul speaks so uh, lovingly about uh, this church. They mean so much to him. He's their pastor. He he cares deeply about them. And and yet we also know that, uh, like any Christian who's doing well, there's still more to be done. Uh, It's not uh, you're either doing well or bad. You're constantly, as a Christian, needing to have an attitude of growth, of repentance and faith. And so Paul then moves, having expressed his joy, having expressed his love, to encouraging the church to keep on working out their faith. And he uh, talks about areas of sexual purity, for example, uh, and of getting their theology about the return of Christ straight. Now we get to this final section, which on first reading can kind of feel a little bit like Paul was getting to the end of his papyrus, uh, and he didn't have uh, enough sort of space left, so he just quickly wrote down as many injunctions and things as he could. But actually, uh, I think we can see uh, that this is a, a, a final statement by Paul encouraging the church to be uh, a family of God, uh, a community that loves each other as brothers and sisters, shaped by the gospel, and that as they do that, they do that with an eye to the return of Jesus. You'll notice that the term brothers and sisters uh, comes up heaps in this uh, last little section. Verse 12, verse 14, verse 25, verse 27, but it's actually also in verse 26, uh, though there the translators for some reason opt for God's people instead of the term brothers or brothers and sisters. This is an encouragement for a family, uh, a Christian community, to live like family together. And we see, I think, that there is actually some sort of discernible structure in this section. But Paul actually gives instruction first to the way uh, leaders are to operate and we are to respond to them. Second, to the way we are to live in community together and our role in this. And thirdly, I think, and I'll show you why when we get there, 
to, the, to, to how we are to be a worshipping family. That is, we're not just a, a family club. There's something different about why we gather and support each other, because we worship God together. So we'll come to that. But first, Paul talks about the role of leaders. Verses 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Paul gives instructions to the leaders to work hard, to care for the people and to admonish them. And as leaders do that, he calls the the people to respond with high regard, with respect and with love for them. And that as the leaders do that and the people respond that way, together they will live in peace. Unfortunately, uh, there's a tendency sometimes in in church uh, to think of leaders as somehow... Uh, 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 kings rather than brothers. Leon Morris, when he talks about this uh, section, he's a famous Australian uh, scholar. When he talks about this uh, section, he talks about the, he says the tone is brotherly, but it is big brotherly. And I think that's a really good way of thinking about what's going on here. That is, uh, we have here an instruction to brothers and sisters in Christ. And just because one of the brothers or sisters has a leadership role, that doesn't make them separate. It just means they've got a different role, but they're still co-heirs with Christ. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the church uh, can, can make one of two mistakes. Either it can kind of separate our leaders and make them sort of these kingly priesty types who are totally separate from us or in reaction to that it can go the other way and go there's nothing special at all about leaders but actually we do need to hold our leaders in high regard and love them because of their work but we do that as brothers in the Lord together and what does Paul say well he says that leaders are to do what they're to work hard And Paul uses that word, the same word he uses there in 1 Timothy 5.17, when he says this uh, to Timothy about appointing elders. He says, Elders who direct the affairs of the church church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And that word work there is the same word. That is, the, the hard work for Paul, the toil Uh, for Paul of the leader is primarily, I think, the toil of growing the people in the word of God. This job comes first. Of course, there's a whole bunch of other hard work that has to happen as well. Administration, pastoral care, vision, planning, managing resources, uh, caring for people, admonishing them. But for Paul, there's that first and primary obligation to the word of God and to having it understood and applied to the lives of the people. This is the hard work of the leader that ought promote respect and love for them. Likewise, uh, the, the, the leader is called to care, he says, as they, as they work hard among you and as they care for you in the Lord. 
A more literal translation of that would be uh, those who are over you in the Lord. And of course that then begs a whole conversation about what does it mean to be over someone in the Lord. The last will be first, the first will be last, Jesus said. And so that's why we have this uh, translation decision that the, the, the translators of the NIV have made to just write, to care for you in the Lord. And it's not a bad decision because I think that's the sense of what Paul means here, that uh, the leaders of God's people have a job in caring for them. But of course, the danger of choosing care is that we import all of our own meaning into what we think that means. So we think leaders need to help us understand the Bible and they need to uh, also care for us. Well, that means they need to visit me when I'm sick, which they may do. But it involves a whole lot more than that. I think the best picture here is this idea of fatherly care, particularly when we think of uh, what comes next, admonishing you. That is, a father who is both tender and firm, who, who, who seeks to uh, pick you up when you're down, but also to guide you and correct you when you're wrong. Who seeks to bring God's word to bear on your life. Because if we think of caring as a, as a soft idea, which we can sometimes, then I think we, we miss what Paul is going for here. He, he's calling for the servant-hearted leader and for us to respond to that. Finally, he says, the leader's job is to admonish you. That is, the leader's job is to warn you about your bad behaviour and its consequences. To discipline you. And of course, it is negligent of a leader not to do that. And it's interesting because so often, I've heard, I've heard so many people tell me that the reason they left the church is because the pastor called them out on something. Now, it may, it, like, it's complex, okay, and, and the way you do it is, it, it is vital and you need to make sure you're caring for the people and not just being sort of like a harsh taskmaster who's forgotten that the gospel is a gospel of grace. But nonetheless, Paul wants leaders in the church to be able to approach people and to correct their behaviour to call them out, to invite them to think about whether what they're doing lines up with what God has called them to. And in fact, it would seem to me, and the challenge for me, is to think about uh, uh, whether or not I do that enough. Do I love you enough to take the work of admonishing you seriously? For it's vital, isn't it, for the church to have hard-working, caring and admonishing leaders. And I don't think that just applies to me, but to all who have, take up leadership roles in our church. And of course, actually, what we see as we continue to look at what Paul says in verses 14 and 15, that, in fact, it's not all up to the leader at all. We all have responsibility as part of the gospel community, the church community. Paul turns from the leaders who are to... Uh, 
teach and admonish and uh, care to the church community. First, we're to respond with love and respect for our leaders. But then, he says in verses 14 and 15, uh, we have this job. Let me read to you verses 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. You actually have a job that sounds a little bit like the pastor's job. Warning those who are idle. That sounds a bit like admonishing, doesn't it? And disruptive. Encouraging the disheartened. Helping them, how? Probably by applying the gospel into their lives. Helping the weak. Being patient. And if you think about it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because... As we seek to live together as God's people, it's highly likely that you are going to know more than I am about each other. My job is to try and know something of all of your lives, but there will be people, you, you will be closer friends with some people here than, and know more about each other than I may ever know about uh, all of you. And likewise, when people relate to their, their pastor, they can be guarded uh, and they can try and put on their best foot forward that they may not do so much when they're talking to their friend. It's highly likely that you're going to know more about idle and disruptive behaviour in the church than I am. And so Paul says, warn them. You've got a job to do. When people come to you with idle and disruptive behaviour or talking, you have a job. You've got a biblical command. Warn them. This is not going to help us be a gospel community. This is not the kind of life that God calls you to. Uh, Imagine, for example, someone comes up to you and says, "Uh, I don't like the direction our church is going. I've decided that even though I could help, I'm not going to. I'm going to stop engaging in the mission of the church. I'm just going to uh, gather with my friends and have lunch and we're going to uh, reminisce about the good old days and figure out how we can uh, frustrate the mission of the church. And you find this out because they're telling you this. Paul says, warn them. Hey, what are you doing? This is not the way we need to live together. This is idle and disruptive behaviour. Likewise, Paul encourages us to be people of encouragement and help. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. I think if we think about the context of the letter of Thessalonians, it's likely that Paul has in mind when he talks about encouraging the disheartened, encouraging those who maybe have had their loved ones die. Remember last week, we talked about how the Thessalonians had got their uh, second coming, coming theology a little bit wrong. And so they thought that if they believed in Jesus, they, they wouldn't actually see death, that Jesus would return. And so they were worried about that. And you can imagine that uh, if that's what you believe, you've, you've put your faith in Jesus and things don't go as you were expecting them to, that you're disheartened. Paul says, encourage them, 
Encourage them how? Just the same way Paul did back in the second half of chapter 4 and chapter five, first half of chapter 5 by reminding them of what the gospel is. That all who put their faith and trust in Jesus will one day be united with him when he returns. Encourage them with the gospel. There's all sorts of reasons why you might be disheartened. Our job is to love you support you and encourage you and walk with you through that. Likewise, he says, help the weak. And Paul doesn't mean help the people who can only bench press five kilos to get to 50. He means, I think, those who are struggling with their faith. Those who are weak in faith, I think, is what Paul has in mind. And again, if we think about the the letter to to 1 Thessalonians, remember when Paul uh, spent all that time encouraging them to live out their sexuality in a godly way. Perhaps this is what Paul has in mind here, that that, that they are to encourage the weak in faith, maybe those who are struggling to apply their faith to the way they're living out their sexuality. You can imagine that we might have people like that in this day and age. But anyone who is weak in faith in whatever way, we're called to help them to grow stronger in their faith, whatever their issues may be. And as we do this, as we seek to warn and encourage and help, we need to do this in the power of the Spirit, who we know, Paul says in Galatians, gives to us the fruit of patience. Every church has difficult people, has oddballs, has the ones who need warning and encouragement and help again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And guess what? You might need some of that sometimes too. Because you're definitely not that difficult oddball I was talking about. But just as God has been patient with us, so too we should be patient with those in our community. And part of what it means to be a gospel community is that we are not a holy huddle, but a hospital for sinners. Have you heard that phrase before? The church should not be a holy huddle, but a hospital for sinners. That is, if we are operating properly, we're going to be full of people who need encouragement and help and warning and who need it again and again and when they sort one thing out something else is going to happen and they need it again and again and again that's going to be our lot until Jesus returns and that might get tiring if we seek to do it out in our own strength but if we rely on God and seek his spirit we can have his patience to lovingly time and time again seek to help those whom God has placed before us grow in their faith. Paul's final encouragement to the church family uh, uh, as in their life together in verse 15 is to do good to all, end of verse 14, start of verse 15. See that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Remember, this is a church facing persecution. And Paul, I think, wants uh, to warn them against a vindictive spirit. To do as Jesus said and turn the other cheek. 
to go the extra mile, even in the face of persecution. What a beautiful picture of the church working well together, warning each other, encouraging each other, helping each other, seeking to do good, even in the midst of persecution. Finally, from verse 16, Paul changes tack. He now uses a series of uh, plural verbs, which uh, scholars argue mean he think uh, means he's now describing something a bit different to what he's been describing up to this point uh, in verse 16. He moves now, uh, they think, to describing and almost outlining uh, an order of service, if you will. That is, the, how the Christians are to gather in public worship, which is an interesting take on the passage. That's not how I've always read it before, but I, as, I, as I studied this, I became convinced. Paul's not saying, when he says, verse 16, rejoice always, that the Christian's job is to be uh, ridiculously happy in all circumstances. Rather, uh, from verse 16, we have the encouragement to the the kind of corporate worship of the church. And it's obscured in the English, but because of the way the verbs change here to to, to a sense of plurality. This then is an invitation not to be constantly happy, but to an invitation to joyful worship of God and to our worship reminding us of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and therefore us being able to rejoice in that always. Next, it's a command to pray continually, verse 17. We praise God for what he's done for us and then we engage God in prayer for our world, for each other, for uh, uh, the leaders not just in our church, but in our world. And we're called to, to, to do that together as the community of God, not just on Sunday, but at other times too, whenever we get together. Then we're called to give thanks, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. We give thanks for God's blessings, for his answers to prayer, and of course, especially for what He has done for us and his promise to come back. And the final aspect, so this is this rejoicing, prayerful, thanksgiving service. What else should we do when we worship God together? Listen to God speak. Verses 19 to 22 and verse 27. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And then verse 27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. We have here... An encouragement by Paul to allow God, through his word, by the power of his spirit, to transform us. Of course, it begs the question, what does Paul actually mean in verses 19 to 22 when he's talking about not quenching the spirit and not treating prophecies with contempt? What are prophecies? Well, uh, there's a variety of views in the Christian world about what this is all about. But here's uh, what I think, and I'd be interested to know whether you agree with me or not. 
But I think that we see here Paul uh, encouraging us uh, to be open to hearing from God. Prophecy in the New Testament is different to prophecy in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God's spirit came on particular individuals who took up the office of prophet and then God spoke in particular ways to his people through them. And often they told us things about what was going to happen in the future. <coughs> you guys are going to get judged. God's going to save you. Some, a Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. These sorts of things that prophets said in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it seems that prophecies are, are, are not like that. Well, for a start, we all have the Holy Spirit now. After Pentecost. Prophecies are in fact not about future telling, not about special individuals, but the work of prophecy is about applying God's word into our lives as Christians today. There's probably a sense in which the preaching of the word is prophetic in that it involves seeking to expound the scriptures and apply them into your lives by the power of the spirits. But it's not just preachers who can exercise a prophetic ministry or a prophetic gift. People give, God gives people remarkable insights into scripture, into its meaning, into its application to contemporary society or to your life. And what Paul is encouraging us here is to be open to any utterance that claims to come from God. The, the worst thing we can do as Christians is say, oh, it's not in the Bible, I'm not listening to it. But if someone's bringing you a word that says, I think God might be saying this, we're, we're actually called to be open to that, but to listen to it and to test it and to see if it sits in line with God's word. Because Paul says, doesn't he, do not treat them with contempt, but test them. And hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. It's likely that when someone comes and says, I think God's telling me this about you, or, uh, uh, that they're going to be wrong. Like, sometimes they'll be wrong. But Paul says, hold on to what is good, reject what is evil. Weigh it against Scripture. And be devoted to his word. For Paul, the public worship of a gospel community that is seeking to love and respect the leaders who are helping them to grow in their word and caring for them and admonish them, who are warning each other and encouraging one another and helping each other, the worshipping life of that community involves rejoicing in the Lord, praying continually, giving thanks and listening to God's word and applying it and uh, explaining it to each other. And God's spirit works powerfully as we do all of that together. There's more that could be said. But Paul continue, uh, concludes this letter with a prayer for the Thessalonians. Verse 23, May the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it.
as we've spent the last six weeks in the lead up to Christmas reflecting on this letter and all that God wants to teach us about his gospel and about what it means to live in light of his return. Let's pray likewise that Paul would, uh, sorry, that God would sanctify us, that God would shape us to be more like Jesus and that we would be ready for Jesus to come again whenever that may be. Let's pray that we'll be a gospel-shaped community like the one Paul has described in this final part of his letter. And as Paul finishes with these words, let me finish with them too. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you are encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au Or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.